Well, hello and welcome to the Saints Church Podcast. My name is Dave, and I just want to invite you to settle in for an awesome word that we've got from Pastor Brett Esslinger. Here's my, here's my preacher's confession. I find it really difficult every year to preach Christmas. Because I'm like, there's only so many source materials here. It's not like we haven't heard this thing before. And every year, God is faithful, and uh, he, he brings a, a great word and a, and a great message. And, and I can tell you honestly, uh, those weeks, that it is him, because I got nothing. And, uh, I, but as we, as we move into Advent season, the cool thing about Advent is that Advent is a journey. Um, it's a journey, and it signifies so many things. It's this journey from darkness to light. The light of the world has now come. There's a light that shines in the darkness and darkness cannot extinguish it. His name is Jesus. Advent is this journey. It's a journey from silence to Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ born. Did you know that for hundreds of years before Jesus was born, there was no voice. God did not speak to humanity until Jesus broke through. And he represents this journey towards hope. And as we take that journey towards Christmas, I mean, Christmas is going to be awesome this year. I I guess I'll just invite you right now, Christmas Eve, right here, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m., a classic Christmas. Come on, somebody, with carols and candlelight and all those things. Uh, Okay, so team, we also have to decide, if we're clapping, we're going to be all in on the clapping. Because just a couple claps doesn't sound good. So if we're going to clap today, we just got to decide that we're going to clap today. If we're not, you know, uh, I was talking to our online team. Anyone appreciate the online team who watches church online? Anyone? I appreciate them. Come on. Uh, DeAndre is, is the online team. Uh, anyways, I was talking to them and like, you know what? Every time like they're on there chatting during the services, trying to like connect with people, they're like, it's just like they're leaving me on red. It's like, I don't, they, no one ever responds to me. They see it, but they don't respond. I'm like, that's how I feel every time I preach. And it's just quiet. The whole room's just leaving me on red. And I'm like, all right, okay. Anyways, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this journey, and I want to start in an unconventional place. I want to start with the Apostle John, uh, John, who wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote Second uh, John and Third John. There is a little bit of debate about First John, but his, the literature, the, the tone, the, ty- uh, the style, the tenure, uh, it, uh, majority of, of scholars would say, you know what, it, it is John. And uh, he wrote these incredible books. And, and John is an interesting guy. It's not John the Baptist. He's John the Beloved. Uh, and he's got this personal relationship with Jesus that he tells us in his gospel that he is the one whom Jesus loves. And I don't know about you, but anyone, anytime someone tells you how much somebody else really loves them and appreciates them, it just doesn't always come across the best. So some days I'm like, I'm not sure how much this is true, but I know I 100%. Uh, you know, Jesus and John were BFFs. He was close. He was right there. And the amazing thing about John is that uh, he miraculously, you know, uh, scholars and theologians, they basically suggest John lived for about 120 years. So, I mean, anyone thought you were going to live to 120? That's a, that's a long time. He lived for 120 years, especially in an era where people lived into their 50s. That's crazy. You know, he just, he just had this incredible thing. He's the only apostle who, who didn't live, uh, you know, die by some horrific uh, uh, act of persecution and martyr, uh, martyrdom because he just kept living. 
Uh, Tertullian, uh, Tertullian, a historian at the time, actually said that uh, so, so Dimension was the Roman Empire, and he did not like John. He did not like the church in Ephesus. He didn't like Christians. And so he made it his life's goal to kill John. And so he makes him drink some poison. And as if, like, all of a sudden, he drinks this poison, and he just lives. He's totally fine. Just like Mark 16, he's totally fine. There's no problems. He just keeps living. So Dimension's like, this is a problem for me. We need to end John. We have to end the push of Christianity. There's too much hope, life, love. There's too much spreading. We need to contain this thing. Let's take John out. They're like, okay, we're going to contain John. So what do they do? Here's a plan. Let's boil him in a hot pot of oil. Alive. So they throw John in the hot tub with the oil. And they turn it all the way up, and he starts preaching at them. And you know, it doesn't matter how high the temperature gets, he keeps preaching. That's commitment to your cause. He just keeps preaching, and then they realize he's not dying. He's not stopping. They turn the heat off. They pull him out, and he's fine. He's fine. Tertullian records these things, and you're just like, wow, this is, this is, this is crazy. Dimension was so upset that John would not die, he then exiles him to an island called Patmos, just off of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And there, well, on the island of Patmos, living in a cave, with some beaches, though, he meets Jesus, and Jesus gives him what is now known as the book of Revelation. Sometimes we're scared of it. Sometimes we like it. Depends on the we. But this guy named John, beloved of Jesus, best friend of Jesus, one whom Jesus loves, has this unique vantage point and perspective to share with us. Now, John also was tasked with taking care of Jesus' mom, if you remember this moment. Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross and he looks down at John and he goes, take care of my mother for me. <laughs> and John picks up that call so that when persecution comes to Jerusalem, where they all were, they all flee and they go to a city called Ephesus. And John actually takes Mary with him and takes care of her there in Ephesus. So these are the words of John. This is 1 John 1. It's going to show up on the screen. We tried to turn the lights up higher in the first service, and they just flickered like crazy out there. So we're just going to leave them where they are. If you're using version Bible app, it's a great way to get backlighting, and you can read your Bible and actively participate. Uh, here we go. John chapter 1, verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself is, was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our 
joy. John is writing to a troubled church in Ephesus, a church that's in the midst of crisis. And this book, is First John, is not a letter like the others. It's a poetic sermon. And it was meant to be circulated amongst the church locations in Ephesus. They're in crisis. They're in a struggle. What's happening? There's division in the church. People are leaving the church. There's disagreements amongst people. They're not loving one another. They're fighting with one another. There's a whole sect of them that are going through a process called, imagine this, deconstruction. This is not a new idea that people were de- like looking at the elements of their faith and pulling it apart. There's elements of, of their church population that just, si- just decided that the scriptures needed to bend to the moral standard of the day and so they changed everything. So they were fighting this fight of faith with more division and more divide than any, any time before. And John, who's now an elder statesman, writing this actually some 60 years after Jesus has ascended. comes from a unique vantage point. It says, I've been there, I saw him, I touched him with my own eyes. I saw the power of Jesus at work. Now here's the amazing thing about John. You could say, ah, oh, he's so passionate about this. He's inviting them into this, this fellowship, this relationship with God because John had a one-on-one, personal, in-person relationship with Jesus. Well, think about this. John's one-on-one, physical, personal relationship with Jesus that, that was as real as this pulpit is in, 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 the, in the tangible world lasted three years. He had now, upon this writing, lived somebody else's entire lifetime only knowing Jesus in the way that we know him. And his love for him only keeps growing. There's a story that's not in scripture that's recorded in biblical and historical texts. Tradition says that Grandpa John, that's what I like to call him, Grandpa John comes to a service at the church at Ephesus. And I just have to say, I think that's worth pointing out, that the man lived longer than anyone else around by like 60 years, lived longer than everybody else, and he kept coming to church on Sunday. He kept coming because he knew that there was something special that happened in the presence of, uh, of Jesus with other believers. He knew that there was a special anointing that was there. He knew that there was something special that happened in the gathering. He knew the commandment for us to continue to gather together, not forsake the gathering together. He knew that, that, that as the scriptures were opened up, though he's literally heard them all before because he wrote most of them, that Jesus could still speak and was speaking in a special way. So if I could say anything to anyone is just keep showing up. It doesn't matter what age or stage of life you're in, just keep showing up. Can I tell you, uh, if you're parents of a young family like I am, you need to keep showing up because the way that you show up shows to your kids where your heart is and where your priority is. If you come every week, again, just a reminder, if we're gonna clap, let's really clap. But anyways... It shows where your priority is. It shows everybody else that, you know what, it doesn't matter what's happening in my life. I will rearrange other things to be here because there's nothing that's going to keep me from coming from the house of the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Anyways, that's an aside. Thank you for the one clap over the corner, Pastor DeAndre. 
We're writing these things so that you may surely uh, fully share our joy. This is 1 John 1, verse 4. We're writing these things so you may fully share our joy. The Apostle John knows something that we don't know. He knows that when you have a relationship with Jesus, it's real, it's active and alive. It's even more or, or a growing dimension of, of, of what his relationship was in real life. He knows that no matter situation he's, he faces, he knows no matter what challenges in front of him, that because he's got this connected relationship with Jesus, that he operates out of a realm of joy, satisfaction, and contentment that you and I could only dream of. And that's rooted not out of his knowledge of God. It's not rooted in a great service. It's rooted in a faith and a relationship that is active and that is alive. It's rooted in a love that keeps growing. Forgot to tell the rest of my story. I'll circle back. Grandpa John comes to church. And the pastor, and they've been through many now. Church started, you know, Paul's there, moves on to Timothy. It's an incredible journey. But John's still there. They're all gone. They say, John, come speak to the church. And he couldn't even walk to the stage. So they carry him forward. And tradition says that for most of his latter years, he only ever said three words. He gets to the front. The room gets silent. John looks out, eyes full of love. And he says, love one another. Love one another. First John 3.11, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Out of that love, there is a key, there's a secret, there's an answer to love one another. Let's fast forward which is actually to slightly slip back in time to Revelation chapter two. We're gonna go there. We're gonna go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter two. Come meet me over there in Revelation chapter two. Otherwise, Jen's gonna hook you up on the screen. Um, and, and what's important to note about the book of Revelation is that uh, this is a letter, uh, but it comes out of an encounter with Jesus. And so the words that we're gonna read, and I don't know what kind of Bible you've got in terms, if you're using a paper one, uh, mine is all red. Every time the words are all red, it means these are the voices, this is the voice of Jesus. And so Jesus is now speaking, and he's speaking to the same church that John was addressing in, in, in his letters, where John's saying, listen, you guys need to love one another. You need to get this love back up in here. And he goes on, and, and John addresses a number of things in first, second, third John at the church of Ephesus. Uh, many historical timelines would suggest that those letters came just after Revelation. They might have come just before. We don't exactly know, but what we know is that Jesus throws down with this in Revelation 2, verse 1, and it's a word not only to Ephesus, but I believe it's a word to us today. So with eyes to see and ears to hear, we go to Revelation 2, verse 1. It says, write this letter to the to the angel of the church in Ephesus, this is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. The seven gold lampstands refers to seven churches in what was known as Asia Minor, which is right now modern-day Turkey. Seven major churches in seven major cities. He says, write this church. Pastor Robert Morris says this. In these passages, in these letters, uh, there's three things that Jesus said. He gave them a commendation. He gave them a complaint. (laughs) And he gave him a correction. So he says this in verse two. This is the commendation. This is the words of Jesus. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and patient endurance. Come on, there's something about just sticking it out. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. His commendation, his praise to them is, listen, you don't give up and you love the truth. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for being there. Thank you for persevering. Remember, they're in the midst of upheaval and crisis. Thank you for for surviving that. Love the truth. Thank you for loving the truth. But then he has a complaint. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Verse five, he says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, change your mind or change your ways. That's the meaning of the word. I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Meaning you're not gonna be a church for much longer if you don't change. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. And that's a whole nother message for a whole nother Verse seven, anyone who, with ears to hear must, under, must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So there's a, there's a big promise there. So what are you saying to us today? I'm saying that it's, It's easy for us in this time, in this era, in this day and age to go through the motions, but I'm tired of going through the motions. That Jesus has more for you. He has more for me. I cannot afford just another Sunday. I can't go another Sunday to Sunday without Jesus in my life. I can't go another Sunday to Monday without an ever-growing presence of Jesus in my life. There was a time in, in our journey, all of us at different stages, all of us come from coming from different places where Jesus made such a huge imprint on our lives that we were just like, you couldn't stop us from talking about it and, and sharing it everywhere. It's like what happens when somebody gets a new iPhone. They just can't help but show you everything about it and tell you all the reasons why you need to get one. Or when someone gets a new car and they just can't help but show it off, it's just like, wow, this is amazing. This is so nice. And you go and you look at it and it's so good. And all you go on the inside is, 
There was something inside when Jesus came in that you just couldn't help. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, Moses would go and encounter the presence of God and he began to glow, and people were rattled by that. Uh, scriptures literally said that his countenance changed. Can I tell you the same thing happens now when people accept Jesus into their life? Their whole countenance changes. He changes the way that, they, that, 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 that you and I interact. He changes the way that we talk. I can tell you from running years worth of new believers, Bible studies, that one thing is true. When people accept Jesus in their life, he changes the way that their face looks. There's a smile, there's a glow, there's a hope, there's a spark, there's something, and there's this life and there's this energy there that wasn't there. It's so funny to me when we would have people come to our table and say, everyone at work is treating me weird. They're asking me if I'm okay. That's because you didn't rip their face off today. They, didn't, they, they, hated to, they hate to tell you this, but you were kind of not nice before. And now all of a sudden, what is that? That's the love of Jesus that's bubbling out. I wonder what might happen if Jesus rekindled in us this first love, this fresh love. It's like when you start dating somebody and you're all just like caught up and that person is getting off of work and it's like 10 o'clock at night and you gotta go wake up early the next day and you're like, you know what, it's fine. I'm gonna drive 45 minutes so I can see you for five. And now you're like, I gotta drive where? At what time? It's too late. And you might be like, this is just, this is just silly. No, it's not silly. John loved Jesus more each day. And I want to, too. There's three pathways, three things, three ways we can return to our first love. And I promise you, they're all things you've heard before if you've been around church. But just like John, we keep showing up. Why? Because Jesus puts a new slant, a new angle. He, he speaks to us in a new way. He speaks into our situation right now. So we have open hearts and open minds and open ears to journey down these old ancient pathways so he can lead us, guide us, and direct us right here, right now. Here's the three things. And coincidentally, these are three things that uh, are why and how we do church. The first thing is worship. They all start with W's because that's just what preachers do. Three things, three ways to recapture the first love. This is worship. I want us to jump over to Psalm 84. You still with me today? Psalm 84 says this, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Come on, when's the last time you felt like that going to church? I long, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. There's that desperation to just be there. This is verse five. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. This translation says Jerusalem. Others say Zion. Uh, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to the presence of Jesus. 
When they walk, this is the outcome, verse six. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. Come on, when you find yourself in the presence of the Lord, when you find yourself near Jesus, whether it's in a church service or it's at home or it's in your car, wherever it might be, Jesus takes that place that is a place of valley of weeping and he's gonna turn it into a refreshing spring. Why? Because he's present, because he's there, because he's gonna walk you through. He's gonna love you through. He's gonna help you make it through. That autumn rain will clothe it in blessings. When Jesus is in our lives, when there's a desperation to be as his presence, and we are desperate to draw near and he draws near to us. He takes and he reshapes and reframes how we see the world. He brings a strength and a joy that only comes from his presence. And this might seem mystical and it is, it's deeply spiritual. I can't give you the mechanics other than to say we draw near to him He draws near to us. And a joy unspeakable is discovered as we grow in our personal one-on-one relationship with him. Let me just say this about worship because no one's come out yet, so that means I have all afternoon. (laughs) That's not true. I don't. Okay. Okay. Whenever you do, and we've done some premarital counseling with, with couples, we go through some great books, and one of those books is the, the Five Love Languages. Anyone familiar with the Five Love Languages? Anyone familiar with this? Okay. Uh, great. Uh, Dr. Gary Chapman. And what you learn in the five love languages is that everybody gives and receives love in different ways. And one of a a frustrating friction point in our relationships can be when you are giving love to somebody in the way that you like to receive it, but they don't receive love in that way. So you have to learn what your spouse, how they want to be loved. And there's five different ways that you can do that. And I'm not going to get into the theory. I say all that to say this. Jesus has laid out for us his love language and the way that he loves for us to love him is in worship. It's one of his love languages. It's one of the ways that we can connect with them. It's what he's laid out for us. And so it actually doesn't matter how you feel about it. When we love him, we love him like he wants to be loved. Scripture says we actually come to worship. We don't actually come to get something. We come to minister to the Lord. So as we pour out on him our gratitude, our thanksgiving, we say, holy, holy, holy. This is why the Lord's prayer starts with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, our Father in heaven, holy, 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 there's none like you. As we minister to the Lord, he'll come and he'll minister us. He changes us and he transforms us. I'm getting hung up in worship. Get this in Psalm 84, talking about this desire to be in the presence of Jesus. 84 verse 10, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper, and just for all of us uh, fun people, a gatekeeper in this scripture, in this context is essentially accountant. So what he's saying here is, I would rather be an accountant in the house of God than Live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. 
O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Three things. First thing, worship. Second thing, word. And you're like, really, you're preaching a message about worshiping word. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I don't know if you know this, but every single message I preach is about worshiping word. Every single message I will preach from here on out is about worshiping word. People don't know whether they should clap for that one. It's like, but why? Why? Because this is the pathway to the presence of Jesus. When I worship him, I pour my heart out to him. I honor him and I realign my priorities so he becomes the king of my life. I slip off the throne that I've possessed throughout the week and I realign my priorities to say, Jesus, you're first in everything. It's why giving is so significant because when we give, we're actually realigning uh, our hearts to say, I'm gonna give to Jesus what's already his, what he's already given me and it realigns my priorities in real time, in real life. It's why we worship, it's why we give. And when we go into the word, it's where we hear the sound of his voice. Can you imagine being in a relationship with someone and never actually talking to them? Here we hear the sound of his voice. And as we get into the word, it leads us into a place of personal prayer. And prayer is a two-way street. So we leave, we speak and we say things and then we leave room for him to speak back to us. The Center for Bible Engagement. Did you even know that existed? I didn't. Center for Bible Engagement did a study. 400,000 people participated, and this is what they discovered. If we are not in the scriptures, if we're not in the word, if we're not in the Bible, at least four times a week, then we will not process things through a godly, biblical worldview. We'll make our own opinions. We'll make all of our own decisions. We will do whatever we want to do. If we are in the word four times a week, we will actually process the world in a whole different way. In other words, we will see the world through Jesus' eyes. Third one, just because I'm going to be fast because these guys showed up. The last one, and this is the priority of every church gathering that we have, is worship, word, and then we do our part to win our world. We do our part to win our world. John says, love one another. We love Jesus, we pour it out through worship, we love him. The more we love him, the more he serves in us, the ability and the capacity to love others. Why? Because it's who he loves. We love who he loves. That's us. That's our family. That's the family that he's brought us into, that he's put us together in. This family called Saints Church. We love one another. But then it continues, and we love those who Jesus loved, who the Father loved when he gave his one and only Son so that anyone could have eternal life. We love those who are far from him. There was this call from Jesus to return to the first love. Love me like you did it first. Love each other like you did it first. That always takes me back to the origin story. See, when God shows up, when Jesus does something 
particularly in scripture, when he was moving in cities, there was always one of two outcomes, a revival or a riot. So this week I'm gonna assign you some homework. Anyone open to receive some homework? I want you to read Acts 19. Because when the power of Jesus showed up through a passionate church, the church that Jesus is calling them back to, to the origin story, say, I want you to be like you were then. I want you to go back to those roots. The thing that he's calling us now is be a church like this, be a church like Ephesus who loves one another and who passionately loves me. What happened when they started? When they started in Acts 19, you'll actually find that all the magicians and sorcerers in the city, witch doctors and all these powerful spiritual people, Paul taught them for two years and after two, three years, they got together and they started burning all of their books and textbooks and all of their writings and all their literature because they said, we have found the hope of the world and we have found a power that is greater than any other. They started to change their societal framework. You'll find in Acts 19 that the riot happens. That's the revival, that the riot happens because an entire industry got shut down, an industry that made idols for other gods. That entire industry got shut down. The economy changed because so many people began to believe in Jesus that they didn't go and buy the same things that they were used to buying. And it started a riot because if you mess with the economy, you got a problem. Can you imagine a church that loves Jesus so deeply that they passionately worship with their whole body, soul, and spirit. Can you imagine a church where the presence of Jesus is thick and palpable? Can you imagine a church where the people gather and it's a drama-free environment because they love one another and love them deeply? Can you imagine a church where people actually forgive one another for the things that they've been through or that they've gone through? Why? Because Jesus simply said, forgive one another. Can you imagine a church that's passionately committed to winning the world and so committed to doing that the local economy starts to shift and change because people don't buy the things that they used to buy. Can you imagine what might happen when the church called Saints Church finds its first love, experiences the power and presence of Jesus in a real way at home with their families car at church. Can you imagine what this neighborhood might look like when Jesus is first in every area of our lives? Come on, let's stand together. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Saints Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you could head to saintschurch.ca and there you'll find information about who we are as well as service times and locations and more online content. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.